Section 52 of The Catholic's Ready Answer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. The Catholic's Ready Answer by Reverend M. P. Hill. Section 52. Justification. Lutheran view. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is the new experience of salvation. Helser Farung, first enjoyed by Luther and then transmitted to the church. Leanbach's Hilfbusch. The Catholic doctrine. A Catholic reader might easily conclude from the above quotation that if this salvation experience was first felt by Luther, Christ and the Apostles must have known nothing about it. But Herr Leanback has a theory about the history of this Protestant doctrine of justification. He informs us that the Church, even in the early days of its history, fell into error and ceased to teach the doctrine about the appropriating of salvation. If that be the case, we can only say that Christ failed to guard his Church from error despite the fact that he had promised to enlighten it through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will teach you all truth. John sixteen, thirteen. In giving his apostles their commission to preach, he said to them, Going therefore, teach ye all nations, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, twenty. He sends them forth to teach and promises to be with them, but how with them except by aiding them in their work and preserving their teaching from error? And the aid he promised them was to endure to the end of the world. The common evangelical position is that we are justified without any merit, of ours and by faith alone, whilst according to Catholic teaching, we are justified by faith and by good works. The evangelical doctrine has no warrant in Scripture. The phrase, by faith alone, does indeed occur in Luther's translation of the Bible, Romans 3. 28. But it is not in the original text and was inserted by Luther. The Catholic Church teaches and has always taught that we must distinguish between a living and a dead faith. A living faith, faith animated by charity, justifies, whilst a dead faith or a mere believing in the truth taught does not justify. If Luther meant a dead faith, he was in error. If he meant a living faith, he had no reason, so far as justification went, for separating from the church. Even if Luther meant by faith the act of believing what is revealed, coupled with a confident surrendering of the soul to God and his grace, neither is this sort of faith a living faith, nor can it produce justification. St. James expressly tells us that even as the body without the spirit is dead, 
so also faith without works is dead. By works is meant the observance of the commandments, and the observance of the commandments is not a mere act of confidence of any sort. If since the Augsburg Confession of 1530, the reformers have emphasised the necessity of good works also, as springing from the true faith, then, again, the Reformation had no reason for existing. If we are obliged, one, to believe what God has revealed, two, to trust in the grace of Christ, three, to love God, which implies the observance of his commandments. This is precisely what the Catholic Church required of its members long before the Reformation, and it is what it requires today. Each and all of the commandments must be fulfilled if we would be saved. As to the text of Romans 3, 28, For we account a man to be justified by faith without the works of the law. Very little need be said to set it in its true light. In the first place, the word alone, which Luther introduces after the word faith, is, in some sense, implied by the context. But Luther had no right to insert it, as it would be misleading, for he misinterprets both the word faith and the phrase works of the law. By works of the law, St Paul means the works of the Mosaic law, circumcision, bloody sacrifices and the like. By faith, he means a living faith, which necessarily includes the observance of God's commandments or good works. As Christians since Luther's time have been disputing with one another on the question, how is the sinner justified before God? And as each of the numerous parties in the strife appeals to scripture for proof of its position, the question naturally arises. Whom has God appointed to settle so vital a question? The answer can be no other than this. Questions of doctrine are to be settled by the church established by Christ, by the church which he commissioned to preach the truth, the church which is the pillar and ground of truth. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. Go ye into the whole world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, and is baptised, shall be saved. But he that believeth not, shall be condemned. Peter and the other apostles were the teaching body appointed by Christ. So long as Protestants fail not to understand, but to realise this truth and fail to recognise in the successors of Peter and the apostles, the inheritors of the teaching office in the church, so long will it be impossible for our separated brethren and us to come to an agreement on other questions. Where the Bible does not decide a question, there yet remains a tribunal that can decide it. A part of that Bible to which Protestants appeal as to a final arbiter in questions of faith, the New Testament is a creation of the church and owes its existence to the teaching office of the church. It is indeed the work of God, 
but God as inspiring the teachers of the church and the inspiration that guided the church as to what it should teach in script must be supposed to guide the church in its interpretation of what it has written. Hence it is often quite unprofitable to dispute with Protestants on such questions as justification, the sacrifice of the mass, the veneration of saints, purgatory, indulgences, celibacy. The paramount question is this, where is that teaching authority whose utterances must have no uncertain ring, but must be a certain guide to salvation, and must be listened to and obeyed? Where is that church which was founded on Peter, the church which is the pillar and ground of truth? If that question remains unsettled, it is difficult, for the most part, to arrive at a solution of others. Once it is settled, I have an infallible guide on the subject of purgatory, indulgences, and other points of controversy. The church must be infallible, since I have Christ's command to believe it and obey it. Now the Catholic Church is the only church that even lays claim to possessing such infallible authority. Therefore, the Catholic Church is the only one whose teaching can be accepted as authoritative and as decisive in matters of controversy. End of section 52